The Crowncast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that means you're listening to The Crowncast, the show where we talk about uh, everything that the fantastic team that is Charlotte FC does on and off the pitch and on planet Earth and in space. And uh, here, very specifically, to talk about what they do in space with me today is Justin. Hello, Justin. Hey, Logan. How are you doing this afternoon? Uh, I am doing really well. Doing really well. Uh, you know, we talk about when we come into these Wednesday podcasts and we get to dig a little deeper. Uh, we talk about the fact that we get excited to sort of dig into the stats and and understand a little bit more than we get on our first l- look at the game. Right. And yeah. sometimes that means we lose twice because you don't win all of the football matches you play, right? Sometimes you 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 don't have a great performance and then you get to watch the kind of bad performance back again. And sometimes the days are like today where you get to roll up and win twice and win big twice. So yeah. it's, a, it's a good one. Um, that being said, because it is a good one, we have a lot to get through and... Uh, despite the fact that we did actually have a couple of listeners from our post react uh, <laughs> say that they did want a full two hour post react, I did very specifically say that all of them would have yes. to to bring that in. So we are going to try and keep it a little bit more uh, controlled. I think we go right into the goals. There's a lot we're going to talk about, but I think a couple of the early goals we can knock out. Uh, do you want to talk about the first one? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I said it a little bit in the post-react when I talked about about Jordi Reyna's performance. Um, The pass that he threads in here to Sergio Ruiz, and the other part of this that that needs a brief mention. If I I can, I'm going to cut across you really quickly, just because we have not officially said, we do believe that you, the viewer, or you, the listener, probably know we are talking about the 4-1 win over Nashville SC, but... In the odd case that you're joining us and uh, you haven't watched the news in a little bit or or you haven't heard the post-react, we do want to make sure you know where we're at. Apologies, true. And, Please continue. And listeners, I, I want you to notice the disdain in Logan's voice as he says, SC, as this is Nashville Soccer Club, not Nashville Football Club. <laughs> that is true. There is there's a mild hint of disdain. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I grew up playing soccer, but... Like we sure, said in the podcast, we are going to call it football here. Cities in the know know to call it football club, like Charlotte. <laughs> um, so the, the first goal that we score of, as Logan said, the the many against Nashville, um, it's again, Jordi Reyna has this inch-perfect pass where he nutmegs one defender and slides it just past the toe of another, uh, looking for Sergio Ruiz. It's great to see Ruiz with the freedom now to get this far forward, to be in the box in this position. And he does, you know, it looks like he's been taking some lessons from the Charlotte Hornets. He just boxes his man out, waits to receive the pass. And the defender's in an impossible position here, right? Because Ruiz is going to go one way or the other, and the defender can't tell. And as soon as he turns and the defender goes to try and play the ball, he's going to make contact and Ruiz can go down and draw this penalty. And so he does. And, it's absolutely what you want the player playing hold up in the box with his back to goal to do, you know, especially when they, there isn't necessarily that run being made 
off of him to try and look to pick the ball back up. Um, you know, if it's Swideris or if it's if it's Shinyashiki on the side instead of Reyna, maybe it's a little bit different. But Ruiz draws the penalty. Uh, Christian Fuchs, obviously our penalty taker. One of the guys, when we got a chance to speak with Adam Armour, Armour said, this guy will go up there and just nail 100 straight penalties in practice. He is ice cold on the spot. And this is another situation where he's ice cold on the spot. And slots yeah, at home. He's a, he's a monster. Early lead. Uh, yeah. I, really, I really don't think there's that much more to say about it other than, yeah, we talked about the last time Christian Fuchs took a penalty. This is, I believe, our only second pen of the year. Um, yep. The last time Christian Fuchs, Fuchs took a penalty, we actually wanted Carol Swiderski to take it. And I had this weird moment where I was like, do I want Carol Swiderski to take it? Like, we have this moment again. And and in the moment, I was like, oh, man, I want I want Carol to take it. I want him to, to get the confidence. I want him to get the goal. But I also the want thing, right? a goal. And yeah. I know Christian Fuchs is going to step up and slot that ball home. And ultimately, it's not up to me. Thank you, uh, Christian Latanzio, that it's not up to me. Uh, <laughs> it's up to him. And he he chose Christian Fuchs. And the ball went into the back of the net. And we, we take a lead on Nashville SC. I don't think there's anything more we need to tack on there. No, I mean, the only thing that, that she'd say is the only reason we want Swiderski to take him, it's not because we think he's better on the penalty spot than Christian Fuchs at all. It's because you want Swiderski to score because scoring gives forwards confidence. And at that point, 26 minutes into this match, it had been so long. It's going back to March and yeah. and Carol it Swiderski had hasn't scored. And um, then... <laughs> Yeah, and then there was this period of sort of nothing. Uh, the yeah. world just sort of went dark for a little while. And then the, the 60th minute of the game ticks over. And uh, at 61, it finally happens. Yeah. The, the moment the, the whole world had been waiting for. And yes, I do assume that the entire world was waiting for Carol Swiderski to score. You know, I there's just I, something in me that understands that there are people in sort of like rural China that were just on the edge of their seats while they were asleep. Uh, I, I have it on good authority that there are astronauts on the ISS who were waiting for this moment. Oh, you know, I am interested <laughs> in your sources, but uh, what we say here doesn't have to be true. As long as we tell you, it's probably not true. And uh, <laughs> honestly, I, certainly all of Charlotte was waiting for this. Carol Swiderski. And I think that we are going to take, this opportunity, Justin, we have been saying we need to dive into him for a while. Yeah. Carol Spadarsi gets his, his goal. Where he goes from this is going to be really important. We have had a sort of almost a a sort of classic theater drama of Carol Spadarsi. He comes into this team. He looks really sharp. He puts four goals in the back of the net in two games. Everyone says this guy's a monster. Um, You know, we, we talked about calling him the Polish assassin and, then he just sort of poofed out of existence. And it wasn't pretty for him. You know, uh, we're going to, as we sort of talk about this whole thing, we're going to get to his goal in this particular game. But I think it's fair to say that we had real serious concerns. Um, and we voiced them on this podcast once or twice. You know, we weren't shy about the fact that we expect the person who's, who's up top for this team to be somebody who produces for this team. And, no matter how much we love them, if they can't do that, they can't stay. 
Um, we have to have somebody up there who's going to create for this team. And we saw some some real issues. You know, one of the things that that you brought forward, Justin, is he had sort of difficulty connecting with the team. Um, you know, from my perspective, I actually was was with another fan in the stadium, and I looked at him and I sort of had this click moment. I said, I wish that you know, Carol Swiderski had Ben Bender's understanding of where to stand because Ben Bender always seems to be in the right spot, right? He always seems to, to make the, the interesting, dangerous run. He always seems to be in the place that creates threat. Ben Bender doesn't have the experience of the teamwork yet to be a sort of deadly goal scorer. Although he already has, I think three, um, Carol Swiderski has all of that. Like I'm going to, I'm going to grind it out. I'm going to be a part of this defensively. I'm going to, and sometimes I, I just wish that he could connect with the team a little better. And that was one of the big challenges we saw out there on top of the fact that we've talked about his very left footed nature has kind of gotten figured out. And Justin, you uh, have regularly talked about the fact that, he wasn't able to stand up to the physical challenges of the league. He was going down as soon as anybody got around him, even if it made almost no sense. Uh, I, I think we have to take all of that stuff, and I'm not going to say we put it in a trunk and bury it in the backyard, because it exists, and it existed. But I do think that now the talking point is not that stuff. Whereas... A couple weeks ago, I think that would have been the stuff we were unpacking. Now, I think that is the stuff we just have to reference. And that's because it looks to the average untrained eye, uh, and even to the trained eyes, I think, that he is starting to, to turn his performance around. Uh, I think it's safe to say he almost got rock bottomed out of this team. Justin, do you feel like that's fair? He was, he was nearly at the point where if he didn't produce, he was going to be gone. I mean, I, I think that there was a lot there that, that, yeah, there was a lot of frustration from the fans. I think there was some frustration from his teammates, uh, just, just the way they interacted on the pitch. Um, I think the international break and, you know, with it, the, the change in management of the squad came at a relatively good time for Karol Swiderski. Uh, I think that getting a chance to go back, he scored for Poland over the international break, um, got some minutes with that team, you know, came back, I think had a growth period and a, a period where he needed some, some help understanding where he needed to be in Christian Latanzia system as opposed to Miguel Angel Ramirez's. Um, but the last couple of matches, you know, if, if you had told me three or four weeks ago that, you know, Swiderski was still going to be having some of the XG levels that he's at right now and things like that. Uh, I, I think that I would have been very concerned about that. And I would have still been very frustrated about Carol Swiderski's performance and everything. But it's all the things that the stats don't necessarily show about the way he's dropping back now with, with more purpose. Where mm -hmm. previously it looked like, right, he was dropping back desperate for the ball somewhere desperate to get onto it. Now he's dropping back to play in the system, maintain the possession, make the smart pass so that he can then break forward. 
And um, I do I do want to cut across you really quickly for the listener. Uh, if you are getting that background, I apologize. Uh, Thor, the god of thunder, has decided to try and enter my building. And uh, <laughs> while we try and keep it as professional as possible here, uh, we are getting a very heavy storm outside. So if you hear the lightning strikes, uh, I promise that is coming from us. Uh, don't worry about your weather outside. Continue, Justin. Yeah, so, uh, you know... There is a difference, and it's it's a difference that's maybe a little bit difficult to quantify with the stats in the way that Carol Swiderski has played the last couple of games. We talked about it after Houston, how he looked better. We were a little frustrated that he still doesn't get the goal, but that, that header chance that he has, it was very close. And this time, that header chance that he has, he buries. And, you know, we, we talked, you talked earlier about his one-footedness and the fact that he has a great left and a, a relatively poor right. And I joked in the lead up as we were prepping for this, that um, you don't need feet if you can score that well with your head. Uh, and so it's, you know, it's exciting to see those sorts of things. So I am going to talk the stats for a minute because I think the stats are important. And mostly I think that the stats show something that, that does need to change because I think he's connecting better. I think we can see that sort of turnaround in his game and, and, how he has started a bit of a resurgence, but I don't think he's there yet. I mean, one of the things we talk about is he he created in this game three shots and 0.3 expected goals from those three attempts, right? That means that if he went out and he did that in theory for 3.333333 games, he would get one goal. This happens to be the game. He slots home a incredible header. And I think it's safe to say that he is adding a weapon to his arsenal with his jumping ability. Because I don't know if you guys have ever seen the uh, the like setups they do for Cristiano Ronaldo's famous header goals. Um, where they'll like hang a ball from the same height that Cristiano Ronaldo took his header from. And you can go try and like jump to the ball and nobody can get within two feet of it. Uh, these guys are professional athletes. They jump like professional athletes. These defenders are professional athletes. And Carol Swiderski was two feet above every other person on that field. He yeah. may have been taller than the keeper's hands could have gotten to. And that's a weapon. Like, there's a reason that Cristiano Ronaldo is so famous for his headed goals. He is capable of getting higher and being deadlier than anyone else in that area. And if he's adding this to his game, that's fantastic. But I do have to talk about what he has done so far and why that has to change, right? For yeah. those of you out there, stats buffs, you'll already know what all this stuff is. Non-penalty expected goals, right? That means Carol Swiderski hasn't been on the penalty spot. But if he was on the penalty spot, we would have taken that number out of the equation. For people, for strikers like him, Carol Swiderski is in the 23rd percentile. What that means to the average listener is if you at random picked four strikers from the same sort of league as Carol Swiderski, it is most likely he would be the worst quality striker in the room for the ability to get expected goals per game. That's not great. 
if you go on to assists, what you would expect him to say, you know, maybe he's not the shooter. Maybe he's the creator. Maybe he's the one setting up for other people. And we've seen that sort of false nine function really, really well. One of the most famous teams in the world in Manchester City does it very effectively, right? For assists, Carol Swiderski is in the 26th percentile. Again, if you pulled out four random strikers of his area, it is most likely he would be one of the bottom two in quality. What he has been capable of doing is he has been very capable of pressuring off the ball and creating a system that we start defending from the front. And this means a lot. Like, that is a very important skill. He is 64th percentile for dribbles completed, meaning he is quite capable of moving the ball up the pitch. Um, He is fairly high up there, 61st percentile in tackles, which means he's winning the ball high up the pitch for us. Those are great, right? We don't want to see those numbers go away, but we have to see that end product number change. If he is going to be the guy for Charlotte FC, and I think he has the talent to be the guy for Charlotte FC, he's going to have to start delivering on the top end of the pitch. And I'm not saying he has to be in the the top 1% of all strikers out there, but I do think he needs to become a better than average, dangerous attacker for this team. Or it is possible that this team needs to start thinking about something else. One of the things that I'm going to tack on, and then Justin, I'll let you get back in here because I know I've been talking a lot. One of the things that I'm going to tack on here is I do think these stats skew from him having a slightly down sort of confidence and trying to move further back into the midfield to help the team more. Uh, This team, especially in the last days of MAR, saw some some real challenge uh, getting up the field. And he was happy to raise his hand and say, hey, I'll drop deeper in the field and I'll work my butt off to help us progress the ball forward. Amazing. Great. What we lost from him during that time was his ability to get back to the danger zone, right? If, if your ultimate job is the danger zone, I care about how good you're doing elsewhere, but your ultimate job is the danger zone. And he was not getting back to those threatening places. One of the things that I think he deserves a lot of credit for in these last two matches is his ability. It seems like he is finding a balance between his good work in the midfield that he's doing, he's supporting the younger players in the midfield. He's, he's drawing defenders away. He's bustling. He's being a defender as well. He's creating dribbles that, that move the ball forward. He's passing progressively, but now he's getting back to the box, right? Now he's riding out those challenges. Now he's getting to the place where he can be a threat again. And I am very happy to see that because I don't think the numbers lie when they're of this level of difference. Justin, I mean, I'm going to ask you flat out. If he continues to be a striker who is in the 23rd percentile for non-penalty expected goals and in the 26th percentile for expected assists, is that who you put on top of your field? I mean, in a vacuum, no. 
but but it's it's not we we can't take those stats stats just in a vacuum, right? If he's he can be presenting an xG that is incredibly low and still managing to score. If he is consistently finding a way to put in bangers, awesome. If he is consistently generating the kind of threat that causes an own goal like it did in Houston, then also like these are the things that I, I talk or that I mean when I talk about, you know, some of the stats maybe not maybe not showing the full picture. There's still danger, you know, we don't score that own goal in Houston without Carol Swiderski being where he is. The the defense in Houston doesn't panic the way they do and knock that Yazwiak cross away without Carol Swiderski being where he is. You know, it's it's a low XG header that he puts in today because it was incredibly well taken. Is he going to do that every match? No. But if he's finding ways to score, if he's putting the ball in the back of the net, or if he is essentially the reason in Houston that the ball ended up in the back of the net, I'm okay with it. As long as he is getting us wins. That's what I care about. There, so, there is another stat though that I love in this, um, real so, quick. And go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I, I, I was just going to say my favorite stat in this uh, is uh, it's twenty five, eleven, and one. That is, uh, there were twenty five consecutive passes between Charlotte FC players leading up to this goal. Eleven Charlotte FC players touched the ball without conceding possession in the lead up to this goal. Every player on the pitch, all the way back to Christian Kalina and all the way up to Carol Swiderski, touched the ball in the lead up to this goal. And the one is the uh, one broken throne in the supporters section when Carol Swiderski got this one. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so I am going to to uh, counter your counter with my counter. And uh, for those of you who have heard us do this before, you know that this could go a long time. So buckle up. Um, I, one thing that you talked about, you said something very very good and I think it's very important and that is we have to judge him by the goals he scores not the chances he gets right sooner or later the guy at the top of your box if that guy only takes 26 shots all year but he scores all 26 of them that guy's on your field every single game right yeah Yeah, there's and I think that that's fair and in that evaluation of Carol Swiderski, Carol Swiderski is bang middling average. Um, if we look at his actual goals, Carol Swiderski has 4.0 expected goals. He currently has five goals, right? So you could argue that Carol Swiderski is outputting in actual goals better than what we would expect and and because of that he's a very good finisher he he takes chances more regularly than your average player right if you compare his actual goal output to any one of the other players in his area he's bang middle he's 46th percentile sure now i'm i i think one of the reasons i bring these stats up is because I think they're going to start changing. I personally think the stat block that says he is a better than average finisher is true. I I think his left foot is one of the best left foots in the world. I think we are seeing him develop an incredibly deadly header. 
I think he's starting to use his right foot too. I think he's learned he's going to have to be capable of doing that. I think that difference between what the average person scores and what he scores is probably true. He is a better shot taker than your average player by some margin, right? He's outperforming his expected goals. I want to see his non-penalty expected goals go up because I want to see a player who finishes chances well get more chances. Um, Yeah. uh, I I think if I saw him at like dead middle of the pack in expected and was finishing at, at the rate he's finishing now, this team is not in the hunt for uh, playoff spots. This team is basically solidified at playoff spots. I mean, I, I think that makes a huge difference. And when it comes down to that pointy end of the pitch, I don't think you can be too critical about making sure your pointy end goes into the other guy, right? Yeah. I'm I'm just saying I like the trend from the last couple of matches. And, and I, I hope that this is the beginning of the uptick. Uh, uh, you know, sort of back to the back to the mean, back to what he's capable of. And I think that the other thing that we got to talk about is as we talk about this potential uptick back to the mean, right, is the system change that's happened around him that that maybe seems to be leading to that because against Houston, against uh, against Nashville this past weekend, Jordi Reyna and Kamil Yozwiak around Carol Swiderski seems to be helping to unlock some of that potential and some of that capability. Those crosses that Jordi Reyna sends in, the big, looping, beautiful, curling crosses, those are the kind of things I think that Carol Swiderski wants to get his head on because he almost did it against Houston with a header and he did it against Nashville with a header, both off of Jordi Reyna crosses. I Uh, think the other way he likes to score is tapping in from the end line low cross, and that's what Kamil Yozwiak brings on the other side. Yeah. I mean, I think it's that or it's thunder shots from from range. Yeah, sure. Which, um, you know, he and Andre Shinyashiki are going to take turns banging worldies from the top of the box. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it before how this <laughs> league is a, uh, I mean, to say politely, a worldy heavy league because there are a lot of players who want to take shots from the top of the box. Um, we definitely know he can do it. And you're right. I do think... You know, I am critical because I love this team and I want this team to be the best that it can possibly be. I want to make it very clear that in this particular situation, I think Carol Swiderski is trending towards the correct direction um, and could go, I'm not going to say he's going to go supernova, but could get really hot. Right now, I think what those stats show is is really that our sort of general feelings that he wasn't getting the job done were true. And I think it also shows the joy that we all feel that that it looks like it's switching it up. I am going to switch it up, Justin, uh, because yeah. while we love soccer, we also love AHA Disc Golf Shack. Uh, for those of you joining us for the first time, we are sponsored by AHA Disc Golf Shack, a local company here in Charlotte, North Carolina. And if you have never played disc golf, you can reach out to them. Aaron at AHA Disc Golf Shack uh, will help you. He will take you out into the field and he'll teach you what you need to know about getting into the game. He'll help uh, set you up with equipment that you need in order to play. And if you mention the Crowncast, uh, he will do all of that at a discount. If you are not new to the game, if you've been playing it for years and you just threw your favorite disc into the water, you can go get a replacement from AHA Disc Golf Shack. 
you can mention the crown cast and he will help you replace your favorite old disc again at a discount. Uh, it's a great sport to play in Charlotte. There's a lot of, a lot of fun courses around here and getting a chance to work with a local business, especially one as, as friendly and helpful as they are. We can't say enough about them. Justin, you want to tack anything on here? No, I mean, uh, like you said, it's a great town for it. It's a great sport to get involved with your whole family in, you know, and um, uh, it's absolutely thrilling to continue to work with AHA Disc Golf Shack over here at the Crowncast. Indeed it is. Uh, so I think that we have done enough on Carol Swiderski. Have we Have we ground that into dust? I mean, think? I think so. You know, we should note that that is a, a really nice header off of a Yordi Arena cross after, you know, the big buildup and everything. It and it's a spectacular header, yes. The the celebration broke the crown or broke the throne behind or in the supporter section. And one poor guy in the supporter section, the, the crown, for those of you who don't know it, the throne there, it spews smoke. One poor guy, after it broke, it was still spewing the smoke in celebration. And he just got a face full of it. <laughs> that was the happiest day of that dude's life. Let's be honest. Oh yeah. He was um, thrilled. <laughs> but uh no, we will we will move it along because uh as we like to say, unfortunately the other team gets to do tactics too, which means occasionally, and hopefully it will continue to be on rare occasion, especially with the way Christian Kalina has been playing, and I think he deserves a shout out in this match. Uh Justin, you had a fun stat earlier. Do you want to throw this one out here that that shows what Christian Kalina did? I mean, Kalina makes six saves in this. There's they the Nashville had more shots. They theoretically created, uh, you know, more XG. Right now, uh, you know, we we created about two point XG. Nashville created about two point six. The difference there is we had a keeper who made six big saves. Nashville's keeper managed two. Yep, and I mean that is all down to ultimately. Christian Kalina, and he's a beast. He's, he's yeah. just a beast. Um, the so we only do have- way they score on him is worldies and penalties. And, and- deflections off Christian McGoon. <laughs> uh, that, that, uh, and- that was slightly rude of me. Uh, but I do want to hand this one over to you. This one's yours to talk about because you had the better view. Of this. Well, it, it, this, is, this falls into one of those three categories. So Hani Mukhtar, uh, who is the so far 10 goal scorer this season for Nashville SC, he is a very good attacking player. He spent a fair amount of the first half complaining on a, 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 at the official about a perceived foul. Um, uh, in the second half, maybe he came out a little bit more, you know, focused. Um, this is a bad tackle by Harrison Awful. First of all, I'm not sure what Awful is doing here to Christian Kalina's left when uh, Harrison was was playing on the right back spot. Um, he shouldn't be the one making this cover on Hani Mukhtar. Hani Mukhtar is moving away from the goal, and Harrison Awful decides to dive in and just doesn't get any of the ball and gets enough of Hani Mukhtar's foot that it's a penalty. Same way earlier in the match, Sergio Ruiz looked to buy one and 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 managed to find a seller. Uh, this time, Honey Mukhtar is looking to buy, and and Harrison Awful is selling to him. Um, and once you concede it, you know there's there's very little that uh, that Christian Kalina is going to be able to do with Honey Mukhtar taking a penalty uh, from the spot there. And so, the the worst part of this 
right, is that it comes just six minutes after Carol Swiderski's beautiful goal. And so we did kind of as a as a fan base go from we feel great, we're up to to I really don't want to drop points at home. It looks like maybe they're doing a little bit better. They got the goal. That's dangerous. Being up 2-0 is a dangerous place to be because you maybe get a little bit complacent. They score one and then the all of a sudden maybe the momentum shifts to the other squad. I think uh, if I can jump in here just a bit, because you're right, 2-0 is one of the most dangerous scores in football. And uh, as Charlotte FC proves later in the day, you can score two goals in less than two minutes. Yep. I want to I wanna tack on just a little something onto this. Uh, I think that amongst all of the standout performances of the day, you know, we we really dove into how impressed we were with everyone. One of the people we went into being very impressed with was Jalen Lindsay in his short period on the field. One of the questions we had for Christian Latanzio was, this was not a great performance by Harrison Awful. He gives away the pen uh, it, all around the field. He wasn't horrible, but he wasn't the the same class that was surrounding him, I think is the right way to say it. Yeah. Um, not his best performance. And we have now seen a couple of performances from him that are 5 out of 10, 5.5 out of 10, 6 out of 10. I have questions why this guy is keeping Jalen Lindsay out of the team. And I, if this was like a, hey, Jalen was getting one game and Harrison Offal was getting the next, and then Jalen was getting one game and Harrison Offal, I, I would say, hey, maybe that's more competition-based. Like he wants both of them to sort of really drive for it. Uh, Jalen Lindsay came on and looked like he felt like he deserved his spot and he was going to tear apart anyone who told him otherwise. Maybe that was part of Christian Latanzio's hope was to light a fire under Jalen Lindsay. Um, it worked if that was the maneuver, but now I want to see Jalen Lindsay start the next game. If there is something about Harrison Awful that is just irreplaceable in the team right now, I'm not seeing it. Are you, Justin? No, I mean, I continue to be confused about this more than any other spot on the pitch. Not even Quinn McNeil over Ben Bender. I be I, I continue to be confused by this personnel decision to keep Harrison Awful in and to leave Jalen Lindsay on the bench because it's not like we don't know what Jalen Lindsay's capable of. I think he was one of the best performers early in our season through the entire stretch that, that Miguel Angel Ramirez was here. Uh, I don't understand what Harrison Awful is bringing at this point that, that Jalen Lindsay cannot replicate or improve upon. Uh, yeah. I think he's a better 1v1 defender. I think he has more pace. I think he's a better passer of the ball. Um, I, I think that he takes fewer poor shots from the top of the box, kind of wasting good opportunities. Yeah. I, I personally am not a big fan of... Harrison Awful's play. I think that he is incredibly valuable as a veteran presence on the team. I think he's incredibly valuable to have around for substitute appearances. I do not understand him in the starting 11 and getting 80 minutes in this match. Yeah, I mean, I think the way I phrase it is I don't have any problem with Harrison Awful's play. It's okay. Um, But my position on Harrison Awful's play is okay football is holding 
dynamite talent out of the team right now. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm overrating Jalen Lindsay. Uh, I am not immune to overrating players. Uh, maybe Jalen Lindsay genuinely needs to pick up a certain skill or something that uh, Christian Latanzio feels is necessary in order to make this team work. Uh, maybe it's just a, hey, Jalen Lindsay, we ran you hard in the beginning and now we're sitting you down for a little bit. We're going to give you some rest where you're young. We're going to look after your legs. We want you to be a a long-standing, healthy guy who who helps propel this team forward. But at this point, all of those feel like a stretch, right? All of those feel like I am forcing some sort of explanation onto something that is not really explainable by those. Uh, I'm not sure what it is, but in my opinion right now, an okay footballer is holding a young dynamic talent out of the team. And I would love to know why. Speaking yeah. of that young dynamic talent, he, uh, after coming on, uh, links up with another one of the subs who we praised heavily in Ben Bender on the post react. And if you want to hear all of the Ben Bender praise, please turn your attention to our uh, last post react. Go back and listen to that one. Uh, you will get to hear all of the Ben Bender praise. The ball from Jalen Lindsay deserves a shout out. Yeah. He spots, again, head up, spots uh, Ben Bender making a move. And he plays a picture perfect, I could have seen this on the highlight reels for the Premier League ball, that Bender just absolutely fries his defensive man, you know, outruns him like he wasn't even there to get to. And Bender slots across a inch perfect spectacularly weighted ball directly to the uh, oncoming foot of Sergio Ruiz. Ruiz slots at home. It is uh, set up for Ruiz in such a way that I, I would have expected Ruiz to finish that. I would have expected me to finish that. Um, maybe I wouldn't have been fast enough to get there, but just the technique to finish the ball. I mean, he was basically right atop the six dead center of the goal. The goalie was still basically on his line and had the whole goal to shoot at. He does put it into the back of the net. It's a spectacular move for the subs who come on. Uh, they, they get to come in, they get to show why they're there. Jalen Lindsay, you know, proves his ability to, to move the ball into the attack Ben Bender shows again his incredible passing skills and his ability to deliver on-time balls to to create threat. Uh, Sergio Ruiz, who I feel like deserves a lot of the credit and plaudits for what he can and has thus far been doing for this team, gets to put his name on the record sheet, and that matters for players. This was a really good one to see all around. Justin, you want to talk about it at all? Yeah, I mean, two points. First, I love that Sergio Ruiz gets the goal. He does make the shot a little bit more difficult than it absolutely needs to be. He goes between the keeper's legs, and I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but uh, he makes it a little more difficult than it needs to be. I'm still thrilled that he scores it. Uh, the other thing is on that, that Lindsay pass to set Ben Bender free on the right wing. The other thing I love to see about it is Lindsay initiates, you know, the counterattacking move and, and gets on his horse and starts going. He starts dribbling upfield at pace and he makes the pass at pace, which I love to see. 
because that is a technically difficult pass to make, complicated by the fact that you're doing it at a run. And it's moments like that, that you go, why did he only come in with 10 minutes left in this match? Yeah, I mean, it definitely it definitely begs questions. Um, I First, think I, the the pass after that from Bender into Ruiz makes you go, why did he only come in for the last 10 minutes of this match? So, yeah, I, I think I'm going to switch up the the order on us just a little bit. We will get to the final goal. But I do want to take a moment to talk about the Latanzio decisions in this game. Yeah, because I think a lot of his decisions are very good. And I think they deserve the credit that they get. Guzman Carujo is our best defender. He is a talisman of this team. He is a uh, icon for the fans. He strikes fear into the hearts of attackers. When you have a player like that, it is incredibly difficult to be the guy who makes the call and says, this guy needs to come out. Christian Latanzio makes that call. We're going to get to it in a little bit, what actually happens. But <clears throat> for what looks to be the sake of protecting a key piece of this team, Christian Latanzio looks at the board and he says, we're up a goal. We have options. They're not great. I would rather Guzman Carujo be out there. But I would rather Guzman Carujo be out there for the rest of the season healthy and continuing to propel this team forward. He makes a tough call. He pulls Christian Latanzio and he adds basically the only other defender he has Guzman, at Guzman his. Carujo. Oh yeah. Uh, he pulls uh, Guzman Carujo and adds basically the only other defender he has at the moment. And that is Christian McCoon. Everyone panicked when Christian McCoon came on. I panicked when Christian McCoon I, came on. I certainly did too. Uh, Christian McCoon is a young defender and we have talked about him to death. If you want to hear about Christian McCoon's possible upsides, if you want to hear about Christian McCoon's many proven downsides, go back and listen to old episodes. We're not going to redo that here. Christian Latanzio decides in this moment that McCoon is probably good enough to get us through this game with a win. And he needs to protect a talisman of this team. I think he makes the right call. Hindsight is always 2020. If he had pulled Guzman Carujo and we lose this game 3-1, everyone would be absolutely smashing Christian Latanzio for this decision, right? Uh, it's easy to say that when we win the game 4-1, but ultimately what I saw after uh, Christian McCoon came in is what makes me feel like this was a good decision because in the beginning, you immediately saw that we lost pressure on the ball. Immediately, all of that sort of stability that, that Corujo provides was gone. And I think it's, it's amplified by the fact that we talk about players and how much space they command. Guzman Corujo commands an incredible amount of space, right? Christian McCoon, whether we like it or not, commands a smaller than average level of space. So the holes in that area became obvious and we started getting really hit on. We started getting really tackled and uh, it looked like we were going to see a breakdown. Christian Latanzio acknowledges this. 
He sees the problem and he very quickly transitions us to a back three in this game. And I am, I want to be on the record in that I looked at that as it happened. And I said, well done, Christian Latanzio. You have taken us to a place where we are not necessarily shelled up. We are winning the game. We are transitioning from being a team that's trying to play most of the ball in their half to a team that is going to try and play a little bit more in the midfield and counter quickly. You have not given up your attack. You have protected a a player who needs protecting. I think it was the right call in this decision. I think that while I wish I would have seen the subs earlier, considering the fact that we saw that that switch to the three in the back, you know, protecting Christian McCoon, we saw the right subs. We saw the speed of Jalen Lindsay come in. He was clearly told when he came in that his defensive responsibilities were not critical, that he was supposed to be thinking about how we continue to transition attacks. He does that successfully, right? Uh, Ben Bender comes in. He was clearly told, I want you to go at them. I don't want them to be able to feel like they don't have to defend. And Ben Bender goes at them, right? Andre Shinyashiki comes in. He is clearly told, I want them quaking in their boots when you get the ball. I want the net itself to be scared. And the net was scared when Andre Shinyashiki touched the ball. And rightfully so. And rightfully so. It it takes a whopping from him uh, at the end of the game. He, I think Christian Latanzio, accurately identifies a number of things in a row here. He needs to protect a key asset of this team and a talisman of this team. He has the ability to do it at some risk. He gives Christian McCoon the opportunity to prove himself and step into Guzman Carujo's shoes. When it has shown it hasn't worked, he protects the asset, he protects the game, and then he replaces the players who need to be replaced with attacking threats that tell the other team, we are not just going to sit in our box. All of that is incredibly praiseworthy. The one condition I have on this is I do not understand why the final subs were so late. Um, <laughs> I don't think anyone here has a good answer as to why the, the final subs come in so late. I think they could have been made 10 minutes earlier very easily and had more effect than, than they even had, despite the fact they were all incredibly effective. Is there anything you want to tack on to this, Justin? I think the subs come in as late as they do because it's it is a balance between it's starting to get late in the match. We're going to use some substitutes to kill some time because whenever you sub a player on, there's never really as much extra time added as it takes to get those subs on. So it's a strategy. It's a tactic that every club uses to kill a little bit of time, waste a little bit by bringing in latish subs balanced against we were still only up a goal at the time. We might need an opportunity to kill this game off. So I would love to see them in earlier, but earlier doesn't give you the let's waste some time. Okay. My, um, let's let's move along. Unless you have something really, well, really big you want to attack. The only the only thing I would say is I I agree that Karuha has to come out when he needs to come out because he's got to be protected. You have to make sure that he's gonna stay healthy. I think if I were in the seat, right, if I were in Christian Latanzio's seat, 
my choice there is not let's change the system to protect the shortcomings of Christian McCoon. My choice is I'm losing a center back. I have a player at left back right now who can play center back and I have a left back on the bench. See, I don't agree. Uh, I'm going to let you finish and then I'll give you my thoughts. I personally would rather have seen Christian Fuchs slide inside to cover for Carujo for this match and Joseph Mora come on and keep the 4-1-4-1 that we had been playing. I, the, the end result is a positive for us, but I do question a little bit the decision because I think we all know the limitations of Christian Fuchs or Christian McCoon, sorry. And, and I think bringing him on and then because of that, having to change the whole shape of the side and because of that, in the end, still bringing Joseph Mora on. I just don't know if I think that's the best way to, to potentially handle this Carujo injury. So I'm going to counter. I'm not, I'm not going to counter. I'm going to, I'm going to give my opinion on this. I think uh, Christian McCoon is brought on because he has the ability to be very fast. Uh, I think that there was an active thought process and again, I mean this as politely as possible to Christian Fuchs because the guy has skills that are not to be trifled with. We have seen him roast people. Christian, McCooks is, Christian Fuchs is not fast. Losing Christian uh, or losing Guzman Carujo, who has that speed commanding backwards, I think the first thought was that we could not leave an, a ball open over the top if we were going to try and break out at all. And maybe there was a little bit there of, hey, let's give the young guy another shot to prove himself. I'm not going to say that either one of those arguments is airtight um, or watertight, depending on what you're trying to keep out of your boat. Uh, (laughs) But I do think that both probably play a part in this decision. I do think Christian McCoon's speed is a factor. I think that that open space going backwards mattered. And I think that, uh, that Nashville had the talent to take advantage of that if we let them run. Uh, and I do think that there is a point where if you're not going to look at your your backup for a player and go, hey, the guy in front of you is injured, this is your chance to prove yourself, he shouldn't even be on the bench. Um, I, I don't think Christian McCoon should be on the bench. I would rather see Jan Subashinsky on the bench than, that, than Christian McCoon. To that point, I will agree with you. But he was on the bench, and therefore I do think it is the right move to put him on. Uh, mm. You and I can disagree on this, and you and I can <laughs> go into it more. But we are going to move along because we do uh, – the, the Sergio Ruiz goal is the one that puts the – I would say the first nail in the coffin – uh, the final goal, the Andre Shinyashiki goal, is the one that truly nails the coffin shut. Uh, or maybe it's the the final shovel of the dirt burying them. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not great with these metaphors. Uh, Justin, you want to really quick run us through the Andre Shinyashiki goal? I mean, this is this is two players. This is two subs that still have some energy, doing work and scoring the goal. We said in the post-react, this goal doesn't happen if Ben Bender doesn't pressure uh, Joe Willis, the keeper for for Nashville SC, but he does. He pressures Willis into a bad clearance that Shin Yashiki manages to intercept and immediately turn up field. 
the turnup field is a pass to Ben Bender, who's making his run back after after the high press. Uh, Bender holds it just long enough for Shinyashiki to get up ahead of steam and lays it off to him. And Shinyashiki dances around three guys. And the thing I think that that astonishes me the most about this shot is Shinyashiki manages to fire from sort of just the right middle of the uh, of the top of the box and squeeze it in just inside the left post. And there were defenders, you know, sort of in the way, I, I like the angle that he puts his body at to crank this shot across the face of goal and squeeze it in the far post is astonishing. Uh, and it's just Shinyashiki doing Shinyashiki things. It, it is Shinyashiki doing Shinyashiki things. And I think it's safe to say that those defenders probably went home and reevaluated their lives. Yeah. Um, that's what he can do to people. It's just, it's just fun to watch. Um, I don't think that goal needs much more explanation. No. I think you hit it pretty cleanly. So I'm going to I'm going to talk really quickly about the fact that the upper deck was partially open for this game. There were going to be a, a few games of the season where the upper deck would be open. And we've talked about how we don't understand the business decision to not open up that upper deck. It was it was packed full. The upper deck, the the more affordable tickets for this game were I'm not going to say they were sold out, but it wasn't like you looked up there and the first five rows were full. The whole thing was full. It was just as full as the rest of the stadium is every single game. And I will have this tacked onto it. It was that full on a day when we got delayed by lightning and yeah. some pretty torrential rain, which means there are a lot of people who could have said, I don't know what the weather's going to do. I can't take this time out to, to, to drive in and to pay for parking and to walk all the way there. And, and then them tell us, Oh, sorry, the game's not going to start for three and a half hours. Uh, in a, in a time where we would have, we could have had a great excuse for there not to be a turnout for this team. You know, if, if we had had half our normal amount of people and, They'd gone. Someone had said, "Well, yeah, because of the lightning delays, it makes sense." Everyone would have said, "Yeah, that makes total sense," and moved on with their day. In a time where that statement is still true, the bottom bowl was basically filled, uh, just like we always see it—the same energy we always see it. More energy for this one, and that those sections in the upper bowl were also filled, and the the atmosphere was electric. Um, probably with the possible exception of the Atlanta match at home, probably the best atmosphere we have had in a game so far this season. Uh, Justin, you want to talk about sort of the last pieces of news we have? Yeah. I mean, just uh, hitting on some news elements here for Charlotte FC, the MLS all-star rosters have come out and there are unfortunately no Charlotte FC players. Uh, it sounds as though the closest we got was actually in the fullback spots where Christian Fuchs and Jalen Lindsay uh, were amongst some of the higher vote getters, but a uh, little disappointing to see uh, only, you know, only part of the roster is determined by the fan vote. The other part is uh, from coach appointments, uh, you know, coaches identifying some of the top players in the league that maybe the fans don't know as well. Frustrating to not see players like Christian Kalina, Guzman Carujo, maybe even Brent Bronico, the way he's been going lately, uh, you know, maybe get some of that recognition 
we're the expansion squad. Okay. But that doesn't mean we're not playing some good football around here. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. You want to say something on there? Oh, no. Uh, I, I leave it to you. Oh, uh, the last thing that I want to mention is uh, the reason uh, from from Christian Latanzio's uh, post-game press conference that Guzman Carujo had to come off uh, at halftime. It seems like it was a hamstring issue, um, more so pulling him to ensure it didn't become worse than pulling him because he could not continue playing. So, you know, again, all the conversation that Logan and I have had about trying to protect a player and everything, that seems to be, you know, what they were trying to protect uh, Guzman Carujo uh, around. Uh, I, that is the, the sort of basis of the news that's, that's come out. And, you know, as we said before, we do want to protect our players. It is terrible that uh, none of them have made the all-star roster because I think there are a couple, especially um, uh, Christian Kalina, who deserve it uh but there will always be the next time and hopefully we show out good for that one we have sent this one way long um (laughs) we we told you we had a lot to talk about we did not lie to you we like to tell you the truth as often as it is reasonably possible uh so we are going to go ahead and wrap it up uh to all of you out there who have taken the time out as ever uh who have come out and been a part with us uh, just stuck your way through this long one. We appreciate it. And uh, we will be talking to you again after we go and take our next three points. Goodbye for now. Queen City Podcast Network.com.